Well, hello again, I'm Tony Payne and welcome to another edition of The Painful Truth. If this is your first visit to us here at The Painful Truth, what we do here each week is seek to apply the truth of Christ crucified that we find in Scripture to every aspect of our lives and ministries as Christians. And over the past few weeks, we've been thinking about church and especially about the essentials of church. Essential Services has been the name of this little mini-series, and this is the third in the series where we come to think about what it looks like to actually get back to church together. So far in this series, we've looked at the big why that lies behind church, and we've seen that it lies in the heavenly church that Jesus is building, and that the local purposes we have in our own particular churches and fellowships are generated by this bigger picture, by this cosmic work that God is doing in gathering the church of Jesus around him in heaven, a work that continues and grows as the apostolic ministry continues and grows throughout the world. But today we come to think about the actual physical church meetings that many of us are so keen to get back to and to enjoy again. What does all that we've looked at about the theology of church and the heavenly church teach us about that task, about the task of getting back to physical gathering together? And in this episode, I'm actually glad to introduce something a bit different. I've got a co-author for this post. I was in the middle of writing the series and getting the material together for this third episode when my friend and colleague at Reach Australia, Andrew Hurd, got in touch and sent me a draft of something that he'd been working on really along very similar lines. And it had so much good stuff in it and was so similar to the direction that I was heading that we decided that it would be useful to collaborate on this final post in this series. And so in what follows, there'll be some things that I've written, and then I'll pause. I won't try and put on a different voice, but I'll pause and explain that the next bits are Andrew's, and we'll go back and forward like that as we proceed through the material. So where to start? What is the rationale or purpose of actually gathering together in physical local church assemblies, given all that we've said so far theologically. Well, interestingly, when we look in Ephesians, and we've been spending quite a bit of time in Ephesians, when we look for a link between the heavenly gathering of Christ and its earthly counterpart, we don't find the kind of explicit connection anyway that we might expect. Certainly, we don't find something that would be useful for pastors to exhort their people with, something like, because you belong to the heavenly church of Jesus that he's gathering together, make sure that you join a good earthly local church like this one and come every week. In fact, in Ephesians, or in much of the New Testament for that matter, the importance of actually meeting together in local gatherings isn't so much an application or a conclusion, but a baseline presupposition or assumption. It's just assumed to be the case. Of course we gather together, because what else would we do? We're members of the new household of God, the new family of God, the body of Christ. What else would we do but get together? In that sense, the heavenly church that we're all part of is a bit like a homing beacon. It calls us together into earthly gatherings, all of us belonging together to that cosmic body of Christ, delighted to be unified together in him and seeking to grow together and to fortify one another as his body through that apostolic ministry we've been discussing, the ministry that is essentially the word and prayer. 
But let me pass over to Andrew and let him take up the story. He says this, The physical gathering of believers, Andrew writes, around Christ and his word, in a particular place at a particular time, is the visible expression of an invisible reality that is at the very heart of God's purposes. He brings peace to us by reconciling us to himself, but at the same time, he brings peace to the various groups that have been hostile to one another, that by his grace we might be together one new man. In Christ we're all one, all sinners saved by grace, to share the same standing before him and with each other. This is true spiritually in the heavenly assembly, and is understood to be true by faith. But it is given visible expression here on earth when sinners actually get up out of their houses, go to a common place, and stand shoulder to shoulder with other people they used to be alienated from. The Gentile actually standing together with the Jew, and both declaring and rejoicing that Jesus Christ is Lord. Without physically gathering, we can't simply give any expression to this. We might hold this thought in our heads as we watch a a centralised stream or video clip, knowing that others who are different from me are watching the same stream. But it is a pale thing in comparison to actually standing with these same people in a common space. It is this reality of being gathered physically with one another that brings glory to God in the heavenly realms, as the forces of evil look on and see the victory of God in gathering people from all nations, tribes, and tongues. This was God's purpose from all eternity, though it was kept hidden for the generations past. But now, through the church, through the physical gathered assembly, the universe is made to see that God has won the victory. Why do we go to church? It's not actually about us. It's about the glory of Christ that we gather that we might show the universe that he is Lord and that he has won. We haven't been doing this while streaming content in our lounge rooms on Sundays. We haven't been churching. But now we're moving into a phase when we can church again. And it's imperative that Christians seize this opportunity to come back together, even though it may be lame and limited in various ways for some time. Non-churching Christians deeply offend their God. They deny the very thing his son died to create, the reality of a new, unified humanity gathered together around him, giving testimony to the universe of God's manifold wisdom and power. That's Andrew's thoughts, or the first instalment of his thoughts in this podcast. And as astute readers may notice uh, from my episode last week, Andrew reads Ephesians 3.10 about the heavenly gathering and manifesting the wisdom of God to the rulers and the heavenly places and so on. He reads it a little different from me. He takes it as a reference to the earthly gathering. I tend to think it's a reference to the heavenly gathering there, but it doesn't make a whole lot of difference. I certainly agree with the point he's making, that the physical assembly of Christians, the visible expression of that heavenly gathering, who gather in loving unity with one another in Christ, well, that's a powerful testimony. It's a powerful proclamation of the power of the gospel. And that's the point that Paul makes in 1 Corinthians 11 when he talks about the Lord's Supper and those feisty, factionalized Corinthians with their appalling Lord's Supper etiquette, where one was running in and and getting lots to eat and getting drunk and another was left hungry. And the divisive kind of bun fight that the Corinthian meals had become 
Paul says it's a travesty. It's a travesty of the loving, united fellowship that the Lord actually died to create. And this is why their meal couldn't even be classed as the Lord's Supper in Paul's book. It was supposed to be a remembrance and a proclamation of the power of Christ's death, the power of his death to save sinful people and draw them together in unity and love. It was anything but that. It denied the reality of what Christ died to achieve. And that's something that the physical, shoulder-to-shoulder fellowship of Christ's people proclaims, that the power of the cross dissolves the alienation and disunity among us and brings us together in him. But what does that mean for an online simulation of that gathering? How are we to understand them and how do they then fit in? Well, our reflections on the heavenly church might help us understand this. The heavenly church, or let's call it the H church, the H church is being built as the apostolic ministry proceeds here on earth. That's what we've been saying. And this apostolic ministry takes place within local, physical, gathered congregations. Let's call them L churches. It takes place within those L churches, but it also takes place outside them as well. We see this in the New Testament. The apostolic ministry and the activity of Christians within the New Testament doesn't just happen within congregations. It also happens outside them. There's the roving bands of apostolic evangelists, of course. There's the work of apostolic agents like Timothy and Tychicus and Titus and others who act as go-betweens, who carry Paul's letters or who extend his ministry by ministering between and among and within the churches. There are things like the collection for the saints in Jerusalem, or the ministry at a more personal level of Priscilla and Aquila, who mentor Apollos, and so on. Apostolic ministry happens not just within local congregations, but also outside them, among them, between them. And this continues today, of course. The apostolic ministry that builds the heavenly church proceeds in all sorts of ways and places and times outside local church gatherings. This particularly happens in evangelism as we take the gospel to the world, but it also happens in all sorts of ways when Christians build and encourage and help and teach each other in various ways when not in church together. And I suppose I could say this podcast is one example of exactly that. And this helps us to make sense of our recent strange experience of virtual church. We instinctively feel that these online gatherings are useful and that they partake of something real and important. We feel that we've been in touch with each other. We've shared the word together in various ways. We've prayed for each other. We have been building each other as members of that heavenly church in the best ways we can through the word and prayer. I suppose rather like separated friends writing regular letters to each other. But we've not been together as the local church. We haven't been local churching, as Andrew suggests above. We haven't actually been singing or praying or reading or listening together, even though we occasionally offer the breezy exhortations to the contrary, like our YouTube host who tells us that we should all now raise our voices together as we watch this clip. The fact is, of course, that we're not together. We're on our own. And the fact that we're doing this on our own at the same time as other people doing it on their own is not really the same as doing it together. I suspect that the more that we have marketed or framed our online sessions 
as church, the harder it will be to persuade people to get off their couches and out of their trackies and, and back to the reality of local church gathering. But it's vital that we do so because the local church gathering, the actual physical gathering together, is such a powerful context for Christian perseverance and growth. And let me hand back to Andrew now, who has some further thoughts on that point. He says this, Our physical gatherings have a power to them that has to do with our physical reality as humans. We're more than brains on sticks. We're embodied. We're relational. We have hearts and minds and affections. When we get ourselves up and out of the house and gather together with our fellow believers at a particular time and place for an orderly, well-structured meeting, we gain far more than we usually appreciate. We need to help our people see the critical but often intangible benefits of being in church together. There's a one-another ministry that takes place and a million small things that can only happen because we're together physically. We see each other, we stand with each other, we sit quietly with each other and listen. We confess together and sing together and respond together. And I'm helped to grow and to persevere by all these million intangibles. We also need to help our people appreciate the urgency of all this in the context of the spiritual battle we are in. We are far more vulnerable than we appreciate, and we need each other more than we realise. It may be that this will motivate some people to return to church because they know they need the support of others, or because they want to start serving others again and encouraging and building them through the tangible and intangible things we do. However, we shouldn't underestimate the virus of selfishness that has spread along with COVID-19. Many of us have loved having permission to stay in and do life privately. It will be hard to help people get past this. Doing life with just me and my family is beautiful. It feels right and good. Many will fight hard against adding work and service back into their lives. But godliness requires it. Very helpful thoughts there from Andrew. In terms of the practicalities then of heading back to church, what should we say? Well, many churches, of course, are already experimenting with different formats and with staging their way back towards uh, being together again. If we're to think our way from principles to practice, how can the various ideas we've brought to the surface help us? Certainly for my own part, I'm very much down the let's get back together now end of the spectrum. Let's just do it and get going. But I suspect my natural enthusiasm may need a little bit of tempering. Because if the problem with our virtual gatherings, our online gatherings, is that they can't really express the rich reality of what a physical gathering is with all the intangibles that they contain, especially with all the one another ministry and the one another encouragement that those physical gatherings express and make possible in a million little ways. Well, it's worth pausing before we start back with a form of physical church in which many of those rich realities are actually excluded. In the restricted form of gathering that is currently open to us, where we sit three seats apart and we can't eat together or sing together or even hang around and mingle together afterwards, are we starting church back up again with a good model of gathering? Here's what Andrew thinks. 
I fear that we're in danger of restarting church in a way that models the wrong paradigm. Where church is just the delivery of information to people who arrive, sit at a distance from each other, listen, and leave with minimal interaction. Would we do better to wait for a few weeks or even a couple of months so that our restart actually gave expression to the very thing we want our physical church gatherings to be? I suspect so. In fact, I think we would benefit from thinking like church planters do when they are launching a new public meeting. When a small core church planning team starts a new meeting, they really just throw together a group, put them in a building and start church. They think very carefully about each phase. They start smaller as a launch group and get some momentum and energy happening before they throw open the doors to a larger group. Might this be an approach for relaunching our churches post-COVID? We may do better to begin with a smaller startup group, a group we invite because of their capacity to deal with the struggles and challenges of a new format, a smaller group that could re-establish or establish the right culture or vibe, one that wasn't just about us and our needs, but about loving others and reaching out to others to build the heavenly church of Jesus. Well, there's much more to say on this subject, of course, and I appreciate very much uh, Andrew's collaboration in contributing his thoughts to this week's episode, and I hope you found them useful as well and stimulating. We'll come back to the question of church and congregations and what it all means next week in answering two really excellent questions that were submitted after last week's post. One of them about the nature of, of our church as a congregation and to what extent the congregation should define our whole theology of church, and the other to do with apostolic ministry. What do we do when we are faithfully conducting apostolic-style ministry of word and prayer, but not getting very far? What do we do when that sort of ministry doesn't seem to work? I'll come back to those issues next time. In the meantime, a few final things to finish with. Uh, Andrew and I have been friends for decades, ever since we were involved in um, ministry apprenticeship together, way back when, in the 80s. Uh, these days, we keep in touch regularly on the committee or the management committee of Reach Australia, which is an organisation many of you have, will have heard of. Uh, it's an organisation that seeks to help church leaders, ministry leaders, to build and grow thriving, evangelistic, theologically driven, spiritually vibrant churches. And one of the things Reach Australia is doing uh, and working very hard at the moment to do is to help church leaders think through this strange time we're in and especially to think through their plans for reopening. And if you want to get some resources uh, to that end, the team at Reach Australia with Scott Sanders and Derek Hanna and others have put together a website called relaunchaustralia.com.au. That's relaunchaustralia.com.au, which has some great resources and think, further thinking about the whole idea of what does it mean to start up again after this strange period. Uh, you also must feel free to email Scott at any time. That's scott at reachaustralia.com.au and talk to him about the Reach Australia Development Program. It's kind of like a leadership intensive or cohort uh, that helps ministry leaders to think and work through their own character and their own goals and strategies, but also to think through what it means to lead their church uh, to become a mission-minded, vibrant, growing place, the kind of place we all want to be. So get in touch with Scott to find out more about that development program that Reach Australia offers. One final thing, as of next Tuesday, that's the 14th of July, I'm going to launch the partnership option for The Painful Truth. 
And from that date on, you'll have the option of becoming a partner in the ministry that I'm doing, the writing ministry I'm doing, both here in the work I'm doing at The Painful Truth each week, but also in other things that I'm developing and writing the rest of the time. It's a pretty simple sort of partnership for my part. I'll keep writing stuff and sending it out to you each week, either as an email, uh, as a text journal, or as an audio journal where you can click straight through from the email, or as a podcast uh, on the podcast platform uh, that you're on, that you might be listening to this on. Plus, if you're on the email list, and if you're just listening via podcast, and you're not yet an email subscriber, I'd encourage you to do that because I'll be sending out extra material as well, bonus material for partners and also giving you the inside track on books and resources that I'm publishing and working on. So that's my side of things. For your part, you can chip in something to support me in doing all of that. And as a bonus, if you could pray for me from time to time, that would be wonderful as well. Now, you can contribute or become a partner in three modes, depending on what's convenient for you. You could become a monthly partner, $7 a month, an annual partner for $70, or even a lifetime partner, which sounds rather too much like a marriage, but it's not, for $700. And for $700, you'll keep getting all of this stuff in perpetuity forever or until I kill over, or of course, until the Lord returns. Now, uh, this will also work if you're just listening to The Painful Truth on a podcast platform. Uh, to get, keep getting the podcast each week on your platform, uh, you'll need to become a partner. Uh, otherwise, you'll, you can become a free subscriber. So if you're not up for the commitment of partnership, that's totally fine. Um, you can re remain a, a free member of the Painful Truth community, and I'll keep sending you that edition every three weeks or so. Every third podcast or so will come out for free. Now, if you really do want to keep getting things every week, but you're just not in a financial position at the moment to become a partner, um, please just let me know. That's totally fine. Just email me. Uh, probably the best address is tonyjpain at me.com. That's tonyjpain at me.com. Just drop me a line and let me know. I'll be very glad to sort that out for you. I don't want anyone to miss out because of their circumstances. So when next week's podcast arrives or email arrives, uh, if you want to continue just as a free subscriber and get every third edition or so, you don't need to do anything. It'll just keep popping up on your podcast feed or in your email every three weeks. But if you want to become a partner and get the material every week and be part of the community that way, just click join. Or if you're just listening via podcast, you need to go over to the website and join. It's a very simple process. You just enter your email address and follow the options there for the different levels. And that website is thepainfultruth.online. Thepainfultruth.online. Well, that's about all for this week. A slightly longer painful truth than usual this time around, but I hope you enjoyed it and found it beneficial. My special thanks to Andrew Hurd for his contribution this week. It was great collaborating with him on that content. And if you'd like to make a comment or ask a question, don't hesitate to get in touch. Uh, if you're an email subscriber as well, you can just hit reply to the email and that'll come to me and I answer every email I get. Or you can drop a comment on the website uh, on thepainfultruth.online. Just go to the article and you can join in the comment section underneath if you'd like to. Well, that's about it. Thanks again for being with me this week. I'm Tony Payne. Bye for now. Mm -hmm.